Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. Welcome to the 3CR Spoken Word Program. My name is Di Cousins and today I'm interviewing Anne Elvey about her new book, White on White. Welcome, Anne. Well, thanks, Di. Um, Now, this is a very special book. It's uh, very thematic. It's um, got a a very particular focus. Um, Would you like to tell me where it's coming from? Um, yes, the book is, I guess, exploring whiteness, which is often a hidden racial category uh, in our society. And um, so in various ways, that's what the poems set out to do. Um, I guess some of them didn't specifically, there were a few that didn't specifically set out to do that, but are informed by my thinking in that area. So they're in there too. And... Um Whiteness in reference to what? To race. To race. So to Aboriginality in particular, I think? Uh, Not just Aboriginality, um, but because in our society it's it's not just an issue for Aboriginal people, um, white privilege or um, white um, dominance. Um, It's also an issue for people of colour. From migrant backgrounds, yes, and I mean, and and whiteness is a very unexamined idea. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I mean, all kinds of categories of people can slip in and out of whiteness. Yes, yes. You know, Italians may be white one day and not white the next, or Jewish people potentially, or mm, mm. so, um, and even. Yes, it becomes an issue for some Aboriginal people because they they get asked, you know, how can you be Aboriginal because you've got fair skin, you know, and things like that. And that's a big, um, I mean, that's that can be very hurtful. Yes. So um, in terms of the writing, how, you've been working on it for how long? Pro- I, I think I started probably in about, 2013 or 14 but then you know there's a publication takes a while so I sent this manuscript probably to Kent I guess it was the middle of last year but it could have been the year before I've lost track now so 2016 or 17 yeah yeah yeah. so um yeah but it, it really began a lot earlier than that in that Probably, I think it was the early 2000s, there was a conference um, in Melbourne, um, not just academic, academic and grassroots, called Unfinished Business. That was when I first heard people talking about whiteness. And it was also around the time that um, Aileen Morton Robinson had her first, her book of um, Talking Up to the White Woman that was challenging white feminists or liberal so you know, feminists. It's that sort in of Australia. intersectionality in relation to feminism. Yeah, yeah. But challenging feminists as of I guess liberal, you know, settler backgrounds to see to note their privilege. Yes. Um and what they weren't seeing. 
in Australia. Yes. And then probably the mid, no, probably about six or seven years ago, I was at a conference that Peter Minter spoke at, challenging, and it was a post-colonial conference, and he challenged poets on to really take seriously this issue of this question of whiteness. And um, that was when I started thinking, oh, yes, I'll do that in poetry. Mm. Brilliant. Now, the book is divided into three sections. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a particular sort of conception behind the different three parts? I guess in some ways the first part is dealing with colonial invasion settler experience on the whole um, and being a descendant of the British and I, well, British, British Irish descent, but, you know, being a descendant of the early uh, mid, I guess, 19th century colonisers of the country um, in various parts. The second part's called... So that part, first part is past the index cards, which is comes from one of the poems in that section. The next part is called Another's Country. So it, I guess they're most... Their poems dealing with this country and that it's that it's not our country, as as unsettled settlers. <laughs> so the unsettling of settlement, and the last part is pushing that forward. I guess in some ways um, about racism and experiences of racism and what might come next. So it ends on a a poem about treaty and. It's it's not a simple poem and it's a visual poem across the page, so I can't actually read it, but, though I did once. But it's um, yes, it's it, yeah. some of them are very. Um, mm. I think the term is concrete poetry, isn't it? I think that's one way. Yeah, so treaty yeah. is fairly much a concrete poem, and mm. Mm. Um, yeah, all souls on all souls Eve has concrete aspects. Yeah. Yes, some of them I was wondering where the lines begin, you know, because uh, okay. <laughs> different <laughs> angles to the to yeah. the lines. Yeah. It's 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 got a lovely experimental quality to to it. Mm. And well, a, a lot of freedom with imagery, mm. you know, you really have allowed yourself to go lots of different places. Mm. And I guess some of the layout is um that was value enhanced by the editor and publisher from Cordite, Kent McCarter, who who really said, you know, why don't we do this? And um, and also, I th- some of the the moving things around on the page is about that notion of unsettlement. Okay, yeah, yeah. very good. Um, okay, so we'll go to a poem from the first section. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so in the first section, which one would you like to start with? Um, I thought I'd read White on White and White, which is I guess a potted ancestral history of um unsettlement. White and White White and White lived their law separately in the Garden of England, beside the Medway and beneath a future road. White was transported for stealing eight ducks, his third offence. The ducks bickered on the Marion. A convict ship arrived Van Diemen's Land, 16 September, 1845. White left farm labour in Maidstone and settled Balladon country. Fresh from the rally, he was a pioneer. A a passenger ship arrived Fremantle, 31st May, 1852. 
White whipped a daughter because she cried when bull ants spit. He was deafened by a blast that killed his mate. White's daughter defied him and became at 18 the first in a one-teacher school in a paddock near Gamaling. White married White. They had 12 children. Local Balladong ate at their table before the Great Depression. White grew up in South Yarra and left school at 13. He played football on factory roofs and once fell through. White, who was an altar boy in prison, complained that Pentridge changed. In a nursing home, he died afraid. White nodded from the station wagon, commuted down Nicholson Street, where White once lived with his bride in Cairo Flats. White wished they could return to the borders of country and wait for welcome. She liked the tent embassy and entered a mortgage on Boonwurrung land. It's, um, it, it's, is it a little bit like a um, hundred years of solitude in that it's a many, multi-generational story? Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And the, the words settled and pioneer are actually struck through in the text, but it's a bit hard to say that. And visually you can do it if you're standing Right. In front of people, you can cross them out with your hand. But mm. on radio, it doesn't actually... I can't think of a way to do that. Apart from a little pause. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is there a kind of a resolution that, um, you know, they had, uh, you know, one of these generations had local baladong eating at their table and mm. another one like the tent embassy or or is it not? No, no. I see that no. as ironic Okay, because the situation is still problematic and we haven't acknowledged our history. So, so it's kind of part of privilege to be able to take out a mortgage on Boonwurrung land. Yes. And it's inadequate simply liking the tent embassy on Facebook. Yes. So it's meant to be ironic. So let's go to the day after the election in a Melbourne backyard. Yeah. Probably 3CR listeners will get some of the puns like rind and heart, as in a certain mining magnate. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for pointing that out. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And this plays around with the beginnings and ends of um, sections. The day after the election in a Melbourne backyard. One. The cone roosts in the tree. The sky responds with blue. The radio crackles and the pundit says we get what we, too, deserve, electing a crowd of Daleks with their rind and heart of imagination and a vocabulary limited to a single word. Now, three, each Louis turns up its half-dozen pins guillotined by air. Such a thin moment is forgotten, says Luce, reading Martin. Four, two coins sum in a weathered palm while rain pox red the earth and a sprout pushes through the soil. Five, emerging between the large toe and the next, uncurls. This is not imagination, but the green kidney in its pod, the stalk, six, beneath the clothesline and, in the overhanging banksia, a shriek, when the wattle bird knows the cone, knows the tree. 
I think this is not an easy poem, actually. No. <laughs> There's lots of little references in it. Right. Yeah. Yes. It's 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 very clever. What what do you mean? Um, now each Louis turns up its half dozen pins, guillotined by air. Well, in one one ref- part of the reference mm-hmm. is like Louis the Fly, you know. Okay. <laughs> right. Yep. Yep. Um, but you know, I guess the Louis and the Empire and Revolution and that sort of thing too. Oh yes. Yeah. And yes. Luce is 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 a reference to Irigray and Heidegger and their forgetting of and Luce Irigray reads Martin Heidegger and talks about the forgetting of the air in Heidegger. So it's about bringing back the materiality of of things too. So I guess in colonialism there's a, a losing of connection with, with the land and the air and material life in a certain way. Yeah. Um, because there's an absence of belonging and there's just an appropriation, is that what you mean? Or? Oh, partly, but I'm also, I guess, thinking a bit of Belle Plumwood's critique of the whole logic of colonisation, which is broader than colonising particular lands, but infects how women are treated and earth in a dominating dualistic kind of way. Into, when I'm talking about a logic of colonisation, that's yes. from her. Right, but, okay. Yeah. yeah. Now so, just tell the listener who Val Plumwood was. Okay, Val Plumwood was an Australian um, environmental philosopher um, and she wrote, she lived in um, near Braidwood, Plumwood Mountain, um, and she wrote Feminism and the Mastery of Nature. So that's where the, the part about... Um, the logic of colonisation comes from. And um, she also later wrote Environmental Culture, which builds on that earlier work. But she worked, yeah, she, she wrote a lot of articles and did and taught and yes, so yes. on as well and yes. built, built a place at Plumwood Mountain with, who, with, her, for, with her partner at the time, um, Richard Routley. So they, they actually quite early wrote... Oh, now I've forgotten the title, but it's about the forests, and that was way back. You know, it was one of the early environmental texts in Australia. Right. And um, you're the, the fight for the forests. Okay. Sorry, Di. Yeah, yeah, that's the right. fight for the forests. And yeah. now you're also the editor of the Plumwood Mountain Journal, yes. and uh, and that's a journal of eco poetics, and so it takes yeah. its name from Val Plumwood. It takes its name from the mountain, yeah, right? Yeah, okay, where her place is. Yeah, yep. yeah. And it's published by the group that's. Plumwood Inc., which um, is carrying on her legacy and looking after her place. We might just go to some promos. During the 3CR Radiothon for 2018, Spoken Word presents an evening of live poetry featuring the outstanding talents of Jennifer Compton, Andy Jackson, Tariro Mavondo, and Kylie Supsky, plus an open mic recorded for broadcast on 3CR. Tuesday, 15th of May from 7pm at Grub Food Van, 87 Moore Street, Fitzroy. And all proceeds go to 3CR Community Radio. Help keep independent, progressive voices on the air. Um, another show that's worth catching, which will be on um, very soon, is uh, called Almost Face to Face. And it's um, a, a performance by actor and poet Stephen House who is um, having a show at the Butterfly Club from Tuesday the 8th of May to Saturday the 12th of May. And the Butterfly Club 
is um, in Carson Place off Little Collins Street. Okay, you're listening to the 3CR Spoken Word Program. My name is Di Cousins and I'm talking to Anne Elvie about her new book, White on White. Now, um, this book is divided into three sections and we've just read a poem from each of the first two sections. So let's go to a poem from the third section. This one gives the name to the third section. Okay. Um, Because the third section is called... The page, sorry, sorry, I interrupted you. No, you go. The page is neither clean nor blank. Yes. Yes. Token. A scale catches the light. A gold coin and a gold fish flash in the moat of a university house. Writing there untorn by an urge to efface. The page is neither clean nor blank. A seed pod falls from an imported elm. The wind takes dry pennies for a spin. Urban peak hour. The place is all we have for now. The page is asphalt, gravel, dirt. The line is red and grey and broken. It signifies corrugations of intent, a currency too far, of people and fish and seasonal water. So what is the meaning of the page is neither clean nor blank? Um, it actually comes from something I read that Robert Adamson said, and he, I, and I can't remember which order he said it in. He, I think he, he said that the page... The, he, he said one way or the other, either the page is not clean but blank or it might be the other way around. The page is... Blank but not clean. Yeah, something. Or, no, anyway, it was one was negated and the other one wasn't. And I thought, no, I disagreed. So I I thought, well, really we're in a situation where, you know, terra nullius made it sound like the page was blank. So I doubt whether Robert would have said that it was blank. Okay. And I think what he's probably trying to say is, yes, it's not a blank canvas, but we can move on. Or we can, you know, connect. And I thought it's... But to me, we've just got such a lot. It's so... There's so much to do and unlearn from our, my perspective um, that, that to me it's, it's not... Well, it's definitely not blank, but it's not clean either. So... And I, I'm not sure... I can't remember now the exact quote from Robert. So... But, but that was what I was trying to grapple with that sense of the excuse for us being here was that the place was empty, that it was blank and, and that the people here weren't people or weren't people who counted. But because we can't, you know, we're not really acknowledging our history, then it's it's not as clean, it's not, we're not able to move on and write cleanly, I guess, you know, anything. Yes, well, I, I think that... Um that unresolved tension of not acknowledging colonialism has, uh, you know, created all kinds of dishonesties. Mm. And uh, and one of those is, uh, of course, our fear of people ca- people arriving by boats. You yeah. know, that's the guilt that I... we arrive by boats and so we are terrified of others arriving by boat. Yeah. It, I think the whole border protect. it's not just the arriving by boat because we did, mm. I think. I think that's part of it. But I think that whole issue of holding on to the borders 
is this anxiety that they aren't, it's not ours. Yes, that's right. So there's kind of a trying to pretend that it's ours mm. and that somehow this massive border with the sea can be held or something. Controlled. Yeah. Now, another project that you've been involved in has been the creation of an e-book of poems about um, the Adani coal mine. Mm. Uh, tell me about that. Where did that come from and uh, what's it involved? Um, okay, well, last year, um, you know, I'd done a few of those easy actions, you know, about the stop Adani, like where you try and get the banks to, to stop investing in it. And it felt like the campaign was winning. And then all of a sudden it became very clear that it wasn't going to go away, the, um, this push for Adani to have a mine in the Galilee Basin. I'm pretty sure 3CR listeners are fairly aware of Absolutely. The, but we, we, the Adani campaign. Hmm. So um, on the 29th of October there was a, a big um, thing here in Fitzroy Town Hall, a training or information training session about Stop Adani. And just prior to that I thought, well, look, I'd like to get poets together speaking up to Adani and asked, really just invited different people, um, including Di, and we had a day, 12-hour day where I just posted poems, several poems every hour, did social media, you know, tagging politicians, and um, we had a little hashtag Poets for Adani, and and I would, every hour or so, I'd send them to the info at Adani Web's um, email address with a polite request to, to read them. And some of the poems were about directly critiquing the mine and others were more general environmental poems or related to mining or climate change and others were more in the what possible worlds does poetry create that's different from mining worlds. So we had the day and then I thought, well, we could put together an e-book that could become a resource for the campaign and um, invited, well, we included the people from the day and um, invited more people to send things. And so the e-book now has, uh, which came out about, uh, early March, I guess, late February, early March, has uh, over 60 poets in it. And um, we launched in Melbourne on the 27th of March, I think it was. And um, we're launching in Sydney on the 3rd of June um, and maybe in other places during the year. But my hope is that, you know, the campaign will be over and the book becomes redundant except as a nice artefact. Yes, (laughs) Um, absolutely. So Di's poem actually um, is a protest poem against the mine. So how about... Do you want to read yours first? Yes, sure. Because mine isn't a protest yours poem is... about the mine. Mine's about climate change. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes, so um, I wrote, um, you know, you kindly invited me to contribute to this book and so I just sort of had to set, sort of visualised who are these people and where are they and, and what are they doing and I, I imagine them sitting in their office in Bombay. And um, the thing that's really concerned me very much has been the draining of the artesian mm, basin, mm. which is, um, you know, the, I mean, in a dry continent, to have that underground water is, is one of the most important resources. So um, my poem is entitled The Draining of the Artesian Basin for the Adani Mine. The water under the land was pumped out to wash clean black coal that couldn't be cleaned. The land died when the water below was drained 
the birds, the trees, the people and animals had no water to drink. In an office in Bombay, a man counted millions on his electronic screen, zero after zero piled on top of each other. The zeros emigrated from the screen and annihilated the land and the beings on it and below it. The zeros turned into a vast barrenness, the legacy of coal. So, yes. and Anne, would you like to read yours? I will. Yeah. Um, I, I should just tell people that the book is free. Um, there are a few things we suggest that if you download it, you might want to do. Um, but if you go to um, plumwoodmountain.com, um, you'll see on the one of the little menus at the top, it says Hope for Whole ebook, and you can click on that and it has some suggestions of things you could do if you download it, but you can just download it. And there's lots of really important poets in it and really interesting poems. There are. It's, it's hugely diverse. And, um, I mean, uh, just looking at the index... Yeah, I mean, you've got Claire Gaskin and Jennifer Compton and Bonnie Cassidy and Judith Rodriguez and um, Anne Vickery and Linda Stevenson and uh, Michael Farrell and and many other people. Mm. Okay, so this poem is one I'd written earlier um, that was published in Rabbit originally and it's um, a climate change poem. It's called Earth Interview in the Anthropocene. The Anthropocene is um, the name that stratigraphers, earth scientists, I guess is more or less what they are, are giving to the current, I think it's epoch or era, I'm not sure technically which it is now, because of the impact humans have had even on a geological scale. And the conceit in this poem, I guess, is that earth might be able to speak in human language. Um, and, And in some ways, earth does speak through poets, I guess. So Earth and, and it's an ABCD poem, an ABCD area, I think they're called. Okay. Earth interview in the Anthropocene. An alphabetic language is not mine. It was always mine. Before you spoke, before you wrote it. A language in which you ask me to speak about climate, one of my truer tongues. You did not invent it any more than you did dinosaurs. You might be thinking that I only react to outside events. Asteroids, meteorites, humankind, your few fallen into prosperity. I act with the grace of my law. It is not human. I do not resist, nor do I conspire. Multiple I, I am always the more that you cannot escape. This is joy and jeopardy for you, that the things you require, you kill. What is it like, you ask me, to be under the Anthropocene like you? I have read, you have read the Enuma Elish, how even the mighty ancient gods had unruly children. I do not call you my children. The relationship, our relationship, is more complex. Parenthood is a cliché proffered to simplify. It is a cliché to say you arrived late after many emergence. Lateness a quality you took for first place as if you were last, would last, outlast a ration of being. If you ask me, it is like the shiver riding at speed. I throw up cyclone and storm, hurricane, typhoons, languages for them, drought, fire, each in its place, not undoing cycles. 
they were always infused with chaos. But the vigour has changed, is ever-changing. I am changed. Weather is my stirring cloak, your X-rated news, my habitat, my atmosphere, and yes. Yes, you are right to notice the difference, to consider zoology, to recall your zoide entanglements, your species of geology. Well done, giving the earth a voice, yes. (laughs) Mm, I don't know. Yeah, always problematic. Well, <laughs> speaking for <laughs> for others, but but, um, but it's another that's part of us that we are part of, and we part are of us. Yes, we are, and um, mm. it's uh, certainly you know with we're recording in um, autumn, and it's been a very very hot April, mm. and uh, it has. Yes, I mean. Mm. These things are not separate. No, no. So I'd like to thank you for coming in. Thank you, Di. Um, so I've been. This has been the Three CR Spoken Word program. My name is Di Cousins, and I've been talking to Anne Elvie about two her two recent books, White on White, and um, the book she edited, which is an e-book, Hope for Whole: Poets Speak Up to Adani. So um, thank you for coming in. Oh, thanks, Di. Okay. It's good to talk. Yes, it, it's good to read these new books. Mm. Yeah. Okay. This has been the 3CR Spoken Word Programme.